This is Nature News from RSPV Scotland. Hello and welcome to our podcast, Nature News from RSPV Scotland. I'm Stephen McGee. This is where we bring you stories about nature from global news to the little things we're noticing every day. And I'm Kate Kirkwood. There's never been a time when staying in touch with nature and acting to protect it has been more important. We are keen to hear your nature news, whether it's the little moments you've experienced or your thoughts on the big issues affecting the planet. You can contact us on Twitter at RSBB Scotland or you can email us at podcast.scotland at rsbb.org.uk. And please subscribe and leave us a review because it helps other folk find us in the podcast jungle. Hello. Uh, we're back after a little bit of an absence, Kate. It's been a, been a while. It has been a while. Listen, apologies. Um, we did mean to take a summer break, right? Um, but uh, but that summer break kind of then kind of grew into a slightly longer break. There's there's various excuses. I do feel a little bit like a school kid who's forgotten his homework. You know, I had left it on the bus, fell behind the radiator, dog ate it. Um, but, um, but I got COVID, things happened, bird flu, all this kind of stuff. Anyway, we're back. That's the important thing. Um, also, we are uh, in the autumn, beautiful autumn sunshine. So warm on my back. It's, it's lovely. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, in in my garden today, for um, various other logistical reasons, which I won't trouble you, the listener, with, right? But um, <laughs> but we are outside the bird. So far, I've heard, like, this morning while I was setting up, I've heard rain, robin, goldfinches, mm. house sparrows, blackbird. Um, so, you know, there's still plenty of nature about. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It feels like it's quite abundant in your street, actually. Yeah, yeah there's a really big wasp behind us just now. Anyway, um, we are joined by Senior Policy Officer Isabel Mercer. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, excellent. You know, long-term friend of the podcast. Um, and you're here mostly to talk about what we're going to talk about um, later on, which is attack on nature and a whole bunch of stuff that people are probably aware has been happening over the past few weeks. But as ever, we start with our nature news. So, Isabel, what is your nature news? You want me to start? I can yeah. start. Um, so mine's actually from a couple of weeks ago. I was lucky enough to go to Mull for a few days on holiday with my dad, which was just amazing. I think it's one of my favourite places to go in Scotland, actually. It's just, it's magic. And at this time of year, the light and, oh, it was just, yeah, very blissful. Um, And I got to see my first ever sea eagle, white-tailed sea eagle. So that was a really special moment for me. Fantastic. And what kind of a, what kind of a sighting was it were you like on a trip or was it did it just fly past or what happened it, it was from afar it was a you know a kind of a large speck in the sky a distance away but it was still yeah really really nice to see there was a, f- a few of them actually around so that was great yeah never a bad team you see about Teddy Hill Kate um oh mine's a bit more local than that less exciting than uh than the <laughs> white-tailed sea eagles uh, but I can completely appreciate your enthusiasm for them because they're awesome um do you know what it is? It's my rowan tree in my front garden. Um, over the last week, I have been watching with utter glee the colour change in the leaves. Now, some years, it'll go from green to kind of dingy brown and then drop its leaves almost immediately. But at the moment, it is this glorious burnt orange, red, yellow beauty at the moment. And I'm really just enjoying the autumn colours that are beginning to kind of come out. It, I think it's down to the, the kind of the weather we've had this year, yeah. the very, very dry period and then periods of wet, windy weather. Um, 
the leaves are, it's going to be a bit of a show this year, I think. I, 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 if you've been up north, I suspect uh, that's pretty, pretty much happening already. But um, every now and again, I spot a tree, just sort of urban trees, and I'm just like, that's amazing. Just beautiful colours and uh, really just very nice and kind of, I don't know, an enjoyable part of autumn, despite the wind and the rain. It also makes you understand why there's that, there is like a Scottish cultural thing, right? Of, of like round trees being lucky and, and mm. planting a round tree where you live. And it's like, mm -hmm. I think, who knows why that is, but I, I like to think it's just because they are just a gorgeous little thing to have that has this seasonality about it and this and the, the fruiting and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's just all good stuff. Definitely. How about you? Right. Um, I am cheating slightly and it's, it's, it is news, it's not all that new. It's something that's happened to me a few times over like the period since we've been, um, uh, since we've last done a podcast. So I was in Shetland and then I was in a couple of places away, um, Glen Affric and then uh, in uh, then Benachon in Perthshire, right? What would link all these places together, I hear you ask? Or maybe not. But anyway, I'm going to tell you. Um, and it is golden plover. Ooh. Right? So, um, and when I was in Shetland, they were breeding golden plover. And all, they're just gorgeous in their breeding, full breeding plumage. And, like, showing really well, you know. Uh, you know, trying to, I, think, I think trying to distract you from where they're nesting. I think that's why they make a big noise. I, th I think. I'm not... Maybe I should ask a grown-up. But I think that's why it is. Um, and then... Later in the year, kind of after the breeding season's finished, I then saw them in a couple of, you know, where they go next, you know, mm. to, to really high ground. Um, and it makes you really think about, like, Scotland's landscape and how we've got this amazing mix of kind of, like, habitats are almost like Arctic habitats, mm -hmm. but at weird different elevations. So the Shetland birds were, like, pretty much at sea level and the other ones were, like, three, 4,000 feet up. Um, and, yeah, just... Yeah, really special bird for me um now as ever it's not just our own personal nature news it is things that are happening in the wider world as well there's a couple of stories we wanted to talk to you about one is something which is any way you frame it not good news right which is the results of the latest capricaley survey are out now the we talked about the survey in our previous episode of the podcast um, it happens every six years. It's an exhaustive survey where people go out and walk. I think it's about um, one and a half thousand kilometres of transects, i.e., you know, walking uh, set routes through a habitat that might or might not contain capercaillie, and seeing if you see birds. Um, and the results of that are that there are uh, just over five hundred. Uh, birds as a, as a population estimate in Scotland which is round about half of where it's been in the past so that is that is bad news um, there's a very complex set of factors that are contributing to this and the extent to which you know factors like you know obviously the right amount of the right habitat in the right state you've got predation you've got you know weather you've got uh, disturbance, you know, and, and other things as well. Those are the main kind of things. And the extent to which those things interplay with each other is super complex. And we and other partners are trying to understand that. I will post stuff in the show notes to help people understand what we're doing and other people are doing to try and arrest, in the first instance, the population decline and then hopefully get to a position where we might be able to see Capricaley bounce back. But it, it is a very serious situation indeed. And the other thing we wanted to talk about was... People's yeah, we were nature. wanting to talk about the People's Plan for Nature. You may have uh, seen 
our sharing of this. Um, but this is a really exciting opportunity um, for members of the public and wider population in the UK to really shape the discussion around nature for the future. Um, this is really an extension of the work that we do working in co-design with communities and uh, people, individuals across the UK um, and we'll include some details in the show notes of how you can get involved and how you can have your say. Yeah and Isabel for us you know as an organisation trying to engage with as many because I know a lot of the work that you do in campaigning work and policy work right is often done in partnership with a whole bunch of organisations through things like Link and other organisations. This idea of, of co-design of cooperation of partnership or building big you know big, getting a lot of people in the tent is really important. Yeah, it is really, really important. I think it's just kind of what Kate was saying, like bringing more and more people on board and getting people more involved in the decision-making process, in the designing process and um, helping them to feel empowered in their local areas to take the action that they need. You know, it's, it's spreading, spreading action for nature across all these areas and getting people to kind of supporting and empowering people to pick that up and roll with it rather than... Um, necessarily the RSPB having to do everything. It's really important, I think, that we kind of grow that wider movement and support other people to do things. The main thing we wanted to talk about today is what has come to be known, Isabel, as attack on nature, right? So, right? so explain to us what that is and how it started. Okay, so this attack on nature moment has come about because of three things that the UK government has kind of done or announced over the last few weeks. So I'll just quickly go over what those three yeah. things are. The first one is that they've introduced a bill called the Retained EU Law Bill. Um, and that basically seeks to sunset or end all of the retained EU law um, that we have that, so these are kind of regulations, protections, standards, laws that originally came from the EU. They will end at the end of 2023 unless steps are taken to roll those laws over into our domestic law. Right. So that's one thing. The second thing is in uh, Kwasi Kwarteng's mini budget, they published a growth plan which announced this idea of investment zones which are areas potentially that could have lower or weakened or um, remove environmental protections in certain areas in order to fast track development, basically. And the third thing is um, rumours of a potential rolling back of something called environmental land management schemes. So this is basically about the direction of agriculture policy in England. Um, and the um, government has announced that they're going to be reviewing the future of, of those policies. And just to make sure that people understand this, this is about the Westminster government, right? Um, uh, but for a variety of reasons, including the fact that some policy areas, you know, are the responsibility of the Westminster government uh, rather than devolved governments in different parts of the UK, and also the fact that there are often knock-on impacts from things that are done even by the, the Westminster government that only apply to England or England and Wales that can have an effect. This is something that could affect people across the UK, but in a way that probably we don't completely understand at this point because these are really just proposals. Yeah, that's right, Stephen. I mean, it, it is, as you say, a bit complex about which bits apply in which parts of the UK. The agriculture stuff, as I said, does apply just in England, but the other things do have potentially major consequences for nature in Scotland and the other devolved countries as well. And what I would say is those three things I just set, talked about, 
any one of those things could be really detrimental for nature but as a package of things happening all at once that's what's causing this real alarm from us and a lot of other supporters members of the public and other NGOs and organizations is that together they really do amount to what we think is an unprecedented attack on nature with major consequences at this moment where you know we should really be looking at moving from just protecting nature to actually restoring and recovering nature right across the country but this could undermine that because mm. one of the things that's been really noticeable has been the intensity of the response yeah, right absolutely i think um myself and colleagues have been really heartened um by the the public response to this i think it's people have really understood that this is a big threat to nature it's a big attack on the policies that really benefit nature um, and we don't necessarily know what the outcomes are going to be so people are standing up in solidarity and saying you know what this is not acceptable um, and was it over 100,000 people took part in the e-action yeah, we called for yeah to, to de-jorganize that for people Sorry. like no no that's fine i'm as bad for it as anybody else the e-actions where we basically ask people to get in touch with their mp and let them know that this isn't all right right and ask for an answer to that and yeah what, what within a week like a hundred thousand yeah. people did that mm. which is fantastic right and, and there's been so much mm -hmm. um you know people are now you know you you just look on like social media and other places and you, and you will see people try to think about things that they can do to make it absolutely clear that they um, that that they really care about nature and that they are prepared to speak up for it. And I think the crucial thing for people to understand about this is that this is not party political as such, right? This is about a threat which has been proposed, admittedly, with a lot of the detail left to be filled in, and then a response to that potential threat. Yeah, I think that's right, Stephen. I mean, firstly, I'll just say the kind of outpouring we've seen on social media and beyond from the public and other organisations has been really amazing and energising, I think, for those of us working on this. But it also actually just shows that we are justified in the kind of level of outrage that we've shown for these proposals because um, the, it's just shown that the public is genuinely worried about what these proposals might mean for nature. Um, and we know that there's a massive public mandate for actually doing more to protect and restore nature. I think like a recent YouGov poll recently found that 81% of adults in the UK thought that nature is under threat and more needs to be done to protect and restore it. So we know that there's a huge kind of public backing for ensuring nature continues to be protected. And the problem is really that we have not had the reassurances that we need from the UK government for us to believe that this isn't a threat. So as you said, there's a lot of detail that isn't there at the moment. There's a lot of uncertainty about what these proposals might mean. But we've quite clearly set out what our concerns are and what we'd like to see in response. And we haven't yet had the reassuring response from the UK government that we need. But if I could just talk briefly about the Scottish government, given that um, a lot of our listeners will be in, in Scotland. So we have had... Um, quite a reassuring response from the Scottish government about some of these proposals. So they put out a couple of letters last week and the First Minister also made a statement in Parliament in response to an urgent question, basically saying they are still committed to maintaining and exceeding EU-level environmental standards, which is what, what we want to see. They're not going to be weakening protections here in Scotland and they'll be doing everything that they possibly can to make sure that these proposals don't lead to a weakening 
of protections for nature here. So that is obviously really welcome and reassuring to hear. But we are concerned about the fact that some of the proposals could make it really difficult for the Scottish government to stay true to those commitments yeah, and actually and deliver on the, that. It could be undermined. Achieve the existing commitments they've got. Yeah. And I think one, one of the things that's really noticeable about this is when we've been talking about these issues before, right, um, our, our, we've been talking about how we enhance protection for nature. And it feels pretty depressing to then be going back to even just trying to hold the line on what we've got. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really, really difficult to be put in a position where you are wanting to enhance and protect something when you can't even get basic protections or potentially have threats to those basic uh, protections. And it sometimes does feel like three steps forward and two steps back. But with that momentum from our public support, that public mandate for maintaining pressure on the UK government around this and also maintaining those good relationships with the Scottish government, because we do have good relationships with them to, to, to work as collaboratively as we can to ensure that they are able to stick to those agreements that they've made. And there will be more, well, I suppose there's potentially more to come depending on what happens, right? So we are thinking seriously as an organisation and crucially together with other organisations in the same space, right, who have enormous memberships and can potentially mobilise a lot of people. We're thinking about what the next steps have to be, but that's kind of dependent on what the response is from the UK government, right? Yeah, that's right, Stephen. So in terms of what happens next, the short answer is we don't know. And as you said, it will depend on if we get reassurances from the UK government and what those announcements are. Um, So there's lots of uncertainties, but what we hope, there's a few things we hope will happen next. So one of them is that we want to see the UK government revoking plans to potentially rip up key wildlife protections. So most notably for us, the one we're interested in is something called the Habitats Regulation. So without getting too technical, these are some of our most important wildlife protections that protect our key habitats and species from things like inappropriately placed development. So we want to get a clear commitment from the UK government that they're not going to be removing or weakening those regulations. Um, We also want a commitment that these investment zones won't involve any weakening of environmental protections within them. That's really important. Um, And a commitment from the UK government to retain its plans for environmental land management schemes in England. And then, as I said, in the devolved countries, we're also calling on all of the um, other devolved administrations to make clear commitments that they will continue to protect and restore nature in their countries, kind of regardless of the path that the UK government might put us on in terms of deregulation or you know what's quite often called a race to the bottom and crucially just to tie things up in case you hear otherwise anywhere right as isabel has clearly demonstrated this is about trying to achieve some things for nature in terms of protecting the existing protections we have and enhancing them in the future If you happen to read or hear somewhere that this is part of a coup attempt by the RSPB and other environmental organisations, or it's a membership drive, this is just about a charity which was founded as a campaigning charity, doing a job for nature in a straightforward, transparent, legitimate way, right? Yeah, I I think that's right, Stephen. I mean... 
to be honest, you've said it out pretty well yourself. The only thing I'd add is I'd say we pick our battles carefully. There is a reason why we have been outspoken on this issue. And that's because, as I said before, these three things do amount to what we think is an unprecedented attack on nature and the consequences of getting it wrong on nature at this moment are massive. So the only thing I'd add at the end of this chat is this is a big year, right? We've got this huge international conference coming up in Canada in December called COP15. You guys remember COP26. This is basically our COP26 moment, but for nature. So we're going to get a new global agreement with international nature targets. And we need the UK to be going into that on a strong footing to be able to negotiate a strong deal for nature on the global stage but we can't do that if at home we're undermining it and not not delivering on commitments to protect and restore nature here in the UK so I think that's that's the context we're working in that's the reason why we have been outspoken on this issue and um, as I said I think until we hear some reassuring words from the UK government we'll continue. Mm, Absolutely and I think as well if this is something that maybe you've not ventured to, into too deeply personally, it's worthwhile taking a look at um, some really well done and broken down um, sort of information on the social media accounts that really guide you through that as well. Isabel has really kind of really clearly and accessibly kind of explained to us what's going on here. But if you want to go and do some more reading, go and check out the social accounts. We'll put the links in the show notes. Um, but it guides you through what happens and what happens next as well. So go and check it out if you're not not completely up to date on what's going on. Right. I had a lovely trip to the Glenboradale Reserve in Ardnamurkin, right? And Ardnamurkin is cracking. Used to go there on holidays as a kid. Amazing place. Loads of nature. And Glenboradale is a little slice of Scotland's rainforest, right? You might not know that Scotland's had a rainforest, but it does. So I went there and spent a bit of time with Izzy Baker to find out more. So I am sitting in a dappled woodland glade in Scotland's rainforest, specifically Glenboradale our reserve in Ardnamurchan. And I am joined by Izzy Baker. Izzy, this is your patch. This is my patch. It is. Just to describe to people what's around us, because it is stunning. So, as we look around, we can see some pretty magnificent oak trees. They're all different shapes. They've got different things growing on them. It's morning. The light's coming through the leaves and the trees and we can hear the river behind us it is i mean the remarkable thing about so this is a bit of scotland's rainforest a lot of people won't know that scotland has a rainforest actually so maybe we should start there what is scotland's rainforest and what's special about it so yeah scotland's rainforest is temperate rainforest um and it's here because we have very mild temperatures in the summer mild winter temperatures and a lot of rainfall all through the year. We also have very little pollution um, and we have these magnificent woodlands that that support rainforest habitat and species. Now I've been here for a couple of days filming right and you've been showing me around and one of the things that's remarkable about these trees is 
You've got the trees, which particularly there's an oak tree right in front of it. That is an oak tree, right? That's an oak tree, yeah. I am learning. Like my tree ID is <laughs> getting a bit better. So right, so there's an oak tree in front of me, and it's all kind of twisty and twiny and gnarled looking, and it's nothing. There's not a single straight line on it, right? So it looks old and natural and everything, but every surface of the tree has something growing on it and even some of the things that are growing on the tree have other things growing Absolutely. on it. right so how much stuff yeah. is there on that one oak tree yeah it's life on life on life um and there's very little of the actual bark of the tree that you can see even some of the bits that look like the bark there's actually lichen that is so close to the bark you know it doesn't sort of grow out from the bark it just looks like the bark so even the bits that you think are just the tree probably aren't just the tree. Yeah. So we've got a whole range of different mosses. Um, there's probably four or five just at the base of the tree, different types of mosses all creeping up. And within that, we've got beautiful wood sorrel growing. There's blaeberry growing as well. And then as we come up the tree, there's a range of different lichens. There's some that are quite sort of beardy looking, some that look quite a lot like coral. Um, yeah, and some, again, that look like the bark of the tree. Um, and then as we look even higher, there's some beautiful sort of moss-laden branches, vertical and horizontal branches, with ferns growing out of them. So there's just so much piled onto one tree. It is amazing. Now, Scotland's rainforest does face challenges, right? What, yeah. what are the main challenges it faces? So the main challenges um, that we have are over-browsing, so that in, um, inhibits a woodland to regenerate. So and and over-browsing is basically is too many herbivores of one kind, whether that's deer or yeah. goats or anything else that's coming and eating the baby plants, essentially. Yeah, so it's it's the young seedling trees that really need to establish and, and eventually replace some of the older trees as they might die. Um, so without that regeneration, the woodland you know, wouldn't exist in a couple of hundred years time um, and when you are thinking about woodland management you are thinking of that sort of duration of time um, that you're trying to, to influence um, so yeah getting browsing uh, by herbivores um, to the right level is really important herbivores have a place in the woodland um, but there also needs to be the right balance um, the other big threat is um, non-native species particularly the invasive non-native species rhododendron so rhododendron ponticum um, was introduced to wall gardens and, and yeah, beautiful ornamental gardens, um, but it absolutely thrives in this, this environment that we have here. I, we saw some yesterday and it just it completely chokes everything else out where it gets a hold it's really it's really stark see you know what you were talking about with these incredible trees that are covered in life and then literally these dark corners that become dominated by rhododendron yeah so if if rhododendron isn't removed it just becomes denser and denser and completely smothers everything else out and the place we visited um yesterday uh, we walked into complete darkness. The rhododendron was probably twice our height and there was nothing underneath it. It was just a complete dense, um, dark grove with no lichens, no mosses um, and no light and life sort of reaching the bottom, um, the sort of understory. Now that's all a bit depressing, but 
don't be downhearted no. because there's a there's a ton of stuff going and specifically for us as RSPB Scotland this is a super exciting time up here right uh, tell people why yeah it's a really really exciting time for us as the RSPB in the area but also for for the habitat in the area um, so we've just added a second reserve um, to this area. It's called Glencrippersdale Reserve. It's fairly similar to Glenborodale in that it's um, beautiful, ancient, um, mixed woodland uh, that supports this temp- temperate rainforest. Um, and it's a much bigger scale. Um, so it's six, more than six times the size of this reserve. So we're really able to increase the impact that we have for this habitat um, and also in the meantime build the sort of pool of people that we have working in the area and then it gives you a better um, better chance to help with other people's um, issues that they're facing that are very similar to ours. Rhododendron doesn't um, it doesn't recognise the state boundaries, right? No, it doesn't, exactly. it doesn't, oh, there's a fence here, I better not go through here. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like it's a landscape scale problem that needs a landscape scale solution. Yeah, and we can't isolate, in isolation, fix the problem. We can't clear the reserve and expect for it not to be reseeded uh, by rhododendron on neighbouring ground. So all of these issues really are a landscape scale issue and um, it really involves working well with neighbours and different organisations in the area to, to really sort of head in the right direction together we are going to need to move on from here because despite the fact it's late september it is it is a beautiful sunny day but unfortunately that means the midges have come out um you've been very patient by that by the way <laughs> um uh, last thing what is it like coming to work in a place like this every day oh it is a sort of pinch yourself is this really my office um sort of thing so yeah, it's a fantastic place and it's always changing. Um, the the mi- migrating, breeding birds, they're here in the spring and really noisy. And then this time of year, they start to leave and it gets quite quiet and it becomes a bit more of a reflective place. Um, the trees still have their leaves, but the bracken's sort of starting to turn colour and soon the leaves will be dropping. So, yeah, it's definitely a place that changes a lot it's also a very wet place so we wouldn't have rainforest if we didn't have rain uh, so yeah generally you get through at least one pair of waterproofs a day <laughs> that sounds like such a beautiful place to visit Stephen I'm very envious it was lovely it's definitely on my on my to visit list yeah. but also fun fact also Ardnamurkin, home of Hamza Yazin, wildlife photographer, but also turned dancer on Strictly Come Dancing. If you've not been watching it, he's doing quite well. Is he doing? I have to. I, I'm feeling. I'm feeling like the almost fifty-year-old man I am. I'd like Strictly slightly pass me by. But is he doing all right on it? He's doing well. Good. He's uh, learning lots and showing uh, he's got some good hip movement on the go. <laughs> now, in your job, Isabel, the the rainforest, like Scotland's rainforest, is a big priority for us, right? Yeah, it's a massive priority. So it's one of our kind of most, I suppose, treasured and rich and diverse ecosystems in Scotland. Um, But it's hugely under pressure. So becoming much more fragmented, it's really struggling. And we need a basically a concerted programme of ecosystem restoration 
at scale to um, ensure that these habitats uh, can thrive and be restored in the future. Yeah, because actually it's really interesting. So one of the things uh, that we were talking about there with Izzy, right, is the fact that, you know, we've made this new acquisition up there on the, on the other side of Loch Sooner from where our existing reserve Glen Borodale is over at um, Glen Crippensdale. And when you're in a landscape like that, you begin to understand this problem of fragmentation. Yeah, you know that that the, if you end up with just islands of this very special habitat, that it doesn't do the job it could do if it's properly linked up. And crucially, that means that the RSPB alone or any other organisation alone can't solve this. It takes a really big partnership approach. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So RSPB is part of the Alliance for Scotland's Rainforest, which is a group of quite a diverse group of different organisations operating in that um, space on the West Coast that you mentioned. And it's really important that everybody comes together because, as I said, what what needs to happen is restoration at a landscape scale. And that means all working together across different areas to deliver this restoration. It can't be done piecemeal. A lot of the problems that this habitat's facing, like invasive um, non-native species you can't just like remove it in a little bit and then think oh that chunk's now restored we can maybe think about a piece over here like it it's all connected and has a massive knock-on impact to the other areas around it so it has to all be done together really yeah I think what really struck me was when um, Izzy was describing the life on the oak tree in your interview oh, yeah, Um just life upon life upon life and I think that in my mind is a really good metaphor or kind of visual example of actually how we need to be working it needs to be interconnected it's all very dependent upon each other um, and actually if you take central tenants or part, large parts away from that environment or they're working against each other it's not going to thrive it's not going to be as bountiful it's not going to be as full of life um, and I think that's something I come back to again and again in any kind of conservation conversation is that it has to be working together as a system it can't we can't stand on our own we have to work with other organizations landowners farmers community members really key members of those communities to really be part of something much bigger um so i think yeah i think that was a really beautiful example of uh, how we can how we can work together okay can i just say double kudos to kate Right, because a mind blown on the analogy between uh, uh, between an oak tree and, and, and conservation practice. I always forget, and also conservation conversation. Easy for me to say. Almost impossible to say. Right, um, it remains like an E one autumn morning here. It's ten like, out of ten. Ten, ten, out ten do again. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, Thank you for uh, taking the time, Isabel. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. Um, we will endeavour to be back <laughs> a bit more quickly than we were last we're time. We're grinning and giggling like I'm, school children. I'm, I'm really, I'm, we, are, we are sorry. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll do better in future, I promise. Just, you know, life got in the way. But anyway, we will be back. Not sure what we'll be doing. but um, Something to do with nature, possibly. Yeah, something to do with nature and hopefully some positive news on this attack of nature stuff. But for now... Thank you for listening. Do make sure um, that you uh, let us know what you think, either Twitter at RSPB Scotland, uh, podcast.scotland at rsbb.org.uk. Also, like and subscribe. Indeed. It helps other people find us in the rain... Podcast rain Rain, rain podcast... No, right. right. Podcast jungle. Those are the words. <laughs> <laughs> I like anyway. podcast rainforest. I like podcast rainforest. Yeah. We're not going to say that. But anyway, <laughs> that's enough for today. We'll speak to you soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.